0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Brooklyn Nets win game. One of the Eastern conference quarterfinals edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. It is not an instant reaction because I am recording this about three hours after the fact, mainly because when this game ended at around five, 15, five, 30, It's 70 degrees outside. I wanted to celebrate with my wife. I wanted to celebrate with Jet. I wanted to really soak in this victory of beating the Philadelphia 76ers. So it's a three to four hour later edition reaction of the Evan Roberts podcast as the Nets stick it to the Sixers to steal game one. And I want to start off by bringing in my wife who's with me right now, Sylvia. Um, She did not want to watch this game with me because, as you would say, watching a playoff game with me, is not a very enjoyable experience. Is that a fair statement? Very much so. And why is that? Am I am I that crazy?
1: Ah, uh, how do I put this? I mean, you're a joy to be around, ninety nine percent of the time. Playoff games, like it's it's tough. Wow, it's, What's
0: so tough about it? What do I do that's so bad?
1: I feel the energy, <laughs> and it's not always high energy excitement. It's like anxiety and stress. Like I feel it.
0: So you'd rather just hear the noise coming out of the room I'm, room I'm watching it in, not knowing if the noise is good noise or bad noise.
1: I like the updates at the end. Like, hey, this was a good quarter, but not the like in-between well, stuff.
0: So what I would do is for this game, and I'll get into a breakdown in a second, I would come down after each quarter, and you would say to me, how are they doing? So I come down after the first quarter, and how would you say my mood was?
1: You were very excited. You're like, I mean, excited is a strong word, but you were hopeful. You're like, all right, they're up X amount. They're they're do you remember how much they
0: were up by? Let's see how good you are remembering this.
1: I I think it was 11. Was it 11?
0: Uh, They were up by nine. That's pretty good, though. No, that's not bad. I mean,
1: here's the thing. And (laughs) this is kind of segueing into the whole experience of seeing you come down every quarter. Right. But it didn't very much.
0: What do you mean it didn't vary much? My feeling didn't vary much? No, no,
1: no, no, no. The the amount that the nets were up each quarter didn't vary much. Was similar, but your reaction was very different.
0: Okay, so end of the first quarter, they're up nine. I come down. You're excited.
1: You're like, you're good. You're like, ah man, this is grid. This is good.
0: Halftime. They're up by eight. What was my reaction? You're
1: like, oh my gosh, I don't know. (laughs) This is and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're losing. And you're like, no, 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 they're up eight.
0: Well, as I explain to you, here's why. All right. They were up by 17 with about eight minutes to go in the quarter. And Jimmy Butler hit a buzzer beating three that cut it from 11 to eight. So that's why the eight didn't feel that great. Because not that much earlier, they were up by 17. And Butler, who I, I can't stand his haircut, he, he hit a three to make it eight. So that's why the eight didn't feel like eight. Does that make sense?
1: It makes sense. But you have to understand, from my perspective, you came from the first quarter being like, they're up nine. This is good. (laughs) Then they're up eight. I don't know how I feel about this.
0: Now, did you at all check in on how they were doing or you were squarely just basing it on my reactions and what you heard coming from the room?
1: totally just up to you. I was with Jet. I didn't have time to check my phone, so. Fair enough. It was completely up to what you were telling me.
0: End of the third quarter, do you remember how much they were up by?
1: Wasn't it? it, I want to keep saying 11. It was 11. Okay.
0: No, you nailed it. What was my mood going into the fourth quarter?
1: You were nervous. (laughs) Of course I was
0: nervous. I'm a freaking net fan. And you're nervous, too. When you go to games with me, and here's the funny part you don't like going to playoff or you don't like watching playoff games with me, you're going to come to game four with me. So you're going to deal with me in person, which can sometimes be better but sometimes worse, which I'll get to in a second. So going to the fourth quarter up 11, you would say my mood was I felt good, but I was cautious. Is that how it was?
1: You were just cautious.
0: Okay. And you heard noises in that fourth quarter that would lead you to believe good things were happening or bad things were happening?
1: Listen, I heard (laughs) like, ah, and I was like, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I'll let him come and tell me. I didn't want to go in
0: that realm. I I'm, By the way, for those who remember every detail of this game, the scream was the Levert three that put them up by 14 with eight minutes to go. That was the scream. I was so pumped up when Karras hit that three. And then when there were a bunch of wild turnovers, like Jared Dudley made that big play on a steal of Ben Simmons as they were in transition, and then there was a hard foul on him, that also caused a scream. So when you heard noises, I would say it was the Levert three and the Dudley steal while Ben Simmons was in transition. Do any of these words make sense to you right now or not really? A few of them. Okay. All right. But you're happy that they won. You feel good, right? Of
1: course. I'm happy because (laughs) you're happy, and that's...
0: Are okay. you having any this is my last thing before I get into the game and I'll let you just watch this podcast in action. <laughs> Are you having any second thoughts about going to game 4 with me?
1: I'm a little nervous. No, but it's it's going to be fun. Do you, it's going to be good.
0: Here's my last question. And this is this is a very different podcast cuz usually and I got a caller about this recently. Guy calls up and says And I really enjoyed the podcast, especially when you described how you woke up your wife during the Sacramento game by banging on the bed. So you do get a lot of references on this podcast, but very rarely do we get like a a sit down interview. I forgot my question. I hold on. Oh, do you think if we go to Philly, which is being considered? All right. for game two, maybe even game five, maybe game seven. If you come to Philadelphia, do you think I will behave in a way that's better than when we go to a playoff game in Brooklyn. That because we're on the road, I'll actually be calmer.
1: You're going to be calmer on the outside. I don't know if it's going to be on the inside. I mean, you're going to feel it. And I feel like because I know you so well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to know you're in the moment.
0: You've been to road games with me. We were in Charlotte earlier this year. The Nets lost that game. We were at Madison Square Garden earlier this year against the Knicks. You know how much I love the Knicks. Uh, Nets got killed. So we haven't been to a playoff road game yet. So the first one we go to, or the next one we go to, will be our first. Do I act any different at a road Nets game than a home Nets game? Or am I the same?
1: You're, you're different.
0: I, mean, I am different. I'm calmer?
1: You're, you're calmer on the outside. I mean, calm is so deceiving because it right. from the outside, you look calm. But I know you're not calm on the inside.
0: <laughs> wait, in, Brooklyn,
1: in Brooklyn, you express everything. like right. I feel everything. When you're away, it's different. And I don't know if that's just because, like, what's going on there, but it's a very internal experience for you.
0: You know what it is? Because I've been to a lot of road games, and I obviously went to Game 7, Nets-Raptors, which is the pinnacle of a road game. You could go to a winner-take-all game in the first round of the playoffs. And this goes for even regular season games. I don't know the people around me. I'm in a different city. And the one thing I've always learned, I always stress this when we talk about going to a visitor's ballpark or stadium is you got to respect the place because you just don't know. I mean, somebody could literally jump me and beat the crap out of me simply because I'm a Jet fan, and that was the one thing, and I've told this story a lot. Joe and I were at Jets Chargers in the playoffs. It was one of the more satisfying wins I've ever had as a fan. Uh, The Jets beating the Patriots the following year was better. Joe wasn't there for that, but when we left the stadium, or at least we were going up to the press box to do a radio show, Joe was taunting everybody. And I remember saying, bro, like, I'm pumped up too, but what are we doing? Why are we taunting just random people from San Diego? And I remember the next day he said, yeah, you know, I I shouldn't have done that. And I said, you shouldn't have because what if you taunted the wrong person? They could have killed you. So if we go to Philadelphia and I'm going to be into the game, I get it. I understand that I have to act a little bit differently out of respect because I actually don't like when people come into my building and act like a jackass, so – A part of it is respect, and a part of it is self-preservation, because I don't want to get, you know, beat up. Makes sense. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you coming on and enlightening the audience about the way I act during Nets games, baby. Anytime. I love you. That's my wife, ladies and gentlemen. And you can take the headphones off if you want, or you can chime in. You want to chime in on Joel Bede?
1: I have a lot to say about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, baby. Let me start with that, because... This whole Joel Embiid thing was an absolute sham. And I'll get to the cell phone stuff. i get to all this other crap. But the idea he wasn't going to play today in game one was a sham. Now, is he hurt? Yes, I believe he's hurt. It's obvious by the way he played that the guy is hurt. There's no question. But when you list him as doubtful, and then Embiid says, and I said this on the Saturday show, they list him as doubtful, and he says, well, it's all going to come down to pain threshold. Well, 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 hold on a second. You're putting it on yourself. You're saying it's about me and how much pain I could deal with, and then you're not going to play? You open yourself up to the criticism that you're not playing because you can't take the pain. So it was obvious Embiid was going to play. Now, you saw the havoc that Joel Embiid can cause on Jared Allen and the Nets in this series. First of all, Allen picks up the two fouls immediately in the first 53 seconds of the game, and the one thing Embiid was doing well He was afraid to take the three, then that's what giving it to him. He did that shot fake a million times. I just wanted to punch him. But Embiid was killing him at the line. So even though he did not have a good shooting game, and he clearly wasn't 100%, even a 35% or a 55% Joe Embiid could cause havoc. And it caused havoc on Jared Allen. Now, when Allen picks up the two fouls 53 seconds into the game, My reaction to Kenny keeping him in was, I don't like it. What are you doing? He's already got two fouls, and is going to bitch slap him this entire game. What are you doing? I actually like that he kept him in the game and finally pulled him with about four and a half minutes to go when he picked up his third foul. That's when he pulled him, when he committed the foul on Jimmy Butler. And I think the thought was, or at least I'm assuming what the thought was on why I ended up liking it is, A, tell Jared Allen 53 seconds into this game, figure it out. We know you're 20. We know Embiid has crushed you this season. But stay in this game. Learn how to not commit dumb fouls. And hopefully contribute positively to this team. Which he really didn't. He missed a couple of bunnies at the basket. He did have a block shot of Tobias Harris, if I'm not mistaken. So that was kind of cool. And the other thing was, when you take Allen out of this game, you're going to Ed Davis. Well, how many minutes are you really going to play Ed Davis? you got to understand that, what do you get, 25 minutes out of him? Maybe more, potentially. So I did like the fact that Kenny challenged him a little bit. Now, when Embiid sits, this bit I want to be nice. I don't want to say mean things about Bobon. I really don't. I don't think he's a bad human being. But just looking at him drives me nuts. I'm sorry. That's the way I would describe it. Looking at him drives me nuts. And the Nets gave him a mid-range jump shot all freaking day. And he hit it every single time. But here's what hurt the Nets early. And you can say, "Ev, yeah, how did anything hurt them? They were up by nine at the end of one. They were in control of this game for the most part. By getting in a foul trouble, by allowing Philadelphia to be in the bonus at the seven-minute mark of the first quarter, By allowing Philly to get into the bonus with five minutes to go in the second quarter, you allowed them to keep this game close at the line. They were in this game not only because of what Jimmy Butler was doing on the offensive glass, but they were in this game because they kept going to the line. They took 13 free throws in the first quarter. Six of them came after they got to the bonus. Now, what was great is that the Nets closed that first quarter on a 12-0 run. And that's probably why, to reference earlier, why I was excited. Because the Nets had a strong run where they, for the first time, and really the time, took control of this game to go up by nine. But Philadelphia's ability, led by Joel Embiid, to get to the free throw line kept them in the game. Now, they decided we are going to give Joel Embiid threes. We are going to give give Boban the mid-range jump shot. And what helped is that Philadelphia started, they could hit a three. They were 0 for their first 11. I'm trying to remember who hit the first three. I think it may have been Mike Scott who hit the first three of this game. Now, D'Angelo Russell did nothing in the first half of this game. But that was a part of what was good. D'Angelo Russell, and I was never overly concerned about D'Angelo's performance. Not a once. Because the Nets were playing well without him contributing. And I felt that is going to keep shooting and eventually they're going to go down. We saw Spencer Dinwiddie and how valuable he is right now. The guy can get to the basket whenever the hell he wants. But that extended run that left from the end of the first quarter into the second quarter, I think it was a 20-1 to run. It started defensively because Philadelphia had 12 possessions in a row in which they did not score, but... They stayed in the game because they kept getting to the line, and they stayed in the game because Jimmy Butler showed up. And that was exemplified when Jimmy hit the buzzer-beating three. What a first half he had. 23 points, but forget that. Five offensive rebounds. And D'Angelo did nothing. D'Angelo Russell was two for 11. And at halftime, when I was nervous, as my wife pointed out, the one thing we all knew for the Nets to win this game was D'Angelo Russell was going to have to show up. And he did. He started to heat up in the third quarter. We saw Jared Allen pick up another quick foul, and really it was a blessing in disguise because it meant more of Big Ed Davis, and Ed Davis was tremendous in this game. Not only did he do all the things he's been doing all season long, guy went to the free throw line, hit his free throws. He hurts his foot when he landed on Mike Scott's foot after that putback, and Ed's a tough guy, And, and I love that signing. That was one of those signings, and I'll admit the ones I liked, the ones I didn't like. I never thought Jared Dudley was going to have that big of an impact on this team. So I'll admit that. When they brought Jared Dudley in, it was kind of like a whatever move. The signing of Ed Davis was always such a key move for this basketball team. It's been shown all year. The guy's basically played every single game. He gives you 20 quality minutes every single night, and he's tough. He's like a bouncer. And the reason I call him a bouncer was from that incident. I forget if it was Denver or New Orleans. On the road... When some schmuck, you know what, it was New Orleans, and I think it was Solomon Hill, tried to get in the huddle. Just tried to sneak into the net huddle, and Ed Davis just looked like a bouncer saying, get the hell out of here. And they teed him up. Remember that garbage? They lost the game anyway. But that's when Ed Davis became the bouncer. But he was so valuable in this game. So valuable. And here's the other thing. How many times have we said on any kind of Brooklyn Net podcast, they have to hit their free throws? They have to hit their free throws. If they want to be good teams in the postseason, they have to hit their free throws. The numbers from this game was tremendous. 24 for 26. Did they ever do that all season long? Was there ever a freaking game where the Nets were as damn good at the free throw line as they were? They got Ben Simmons in a foul trouble. He sucked. He was such a non-factor in this game. J.J. Redick was never able to get into any all sorts. He was in a foul trouble. Karras Levert looked like pre-injury Karis Levert. His ability to get to the basket, the moves around the basket, his ability to hit a three. I mentioned I was screaming after the three that put them up by 14. When Levert and Dinwiddie come off the bench, it's hell for Philadelphia. It's hell. And I don't believe the Nets have to live and die by the three. Now, did they hit their threes in this game? Absolutely. But Dinwiddie and Lavert can get to the basket whenever they want. And how did I not mention yet? I've mentioned him briefly. But let me give an audio hug to Jared Dudley. This son of a bitch. Let me tell you about this guy. First of all, I was surprised how honest he was to CMB the other day. Honest as far as the deficiencies of Ben Davis, Ben Davis, Ben Simmons, the deficiencies of Joe Embiid not even the deficiencies of Joe LMB, but basically how you got to attack Joe Embiid how physical they need to get with him. But more so about Simmons, it's not that it's a surprise. We all know the reality. I guess him just admitting it has freely surprised me a little bit. But how good has he been over the last few weeks? The Milwaukee game was won with the help of Jared Dudley. And I tweeted this earlier. I don't think the box score gives him any justice for how good he played in this game. Whether he is drawing fouls, whether he is playing defense, the big steal on Ben Simmons in transition, and then he was fouled very hard. They actually kept it a common foul. I could see if they wanted to make a flagrant. But Jared Dudley does so many little things, setting screens. What a performance by Jared Dudley. What a performance by everybody outside of Jared Allen. I mean, seriously. You know, Damare Carroll didn't wasn't efficient by any stretch, but he had a positive impact when he was on the floor. Rody you know, Rody didn't do much. He did have that one steal that I thought was going to turn into a typical pick six. So, you know, it was a good debut for Rody in terms of just getting that experience. He barely played in this game. Jared Allen, he was the negative. I mean, the guy, talk about barely playing. He played the first five minutes of the game in the first half played the next five minutes to open the second half, and that's all we saw from him. That's why they had to play Ed Davis' big minutes, and they went small, which worked. Or it worked enough. But Dean Whitty was excellent getting to the basket whenever he wanted, had a couple of those, you know, traditional Spencer, Dean step-back threes. And what you love about D'Angelo, and this is why you know he's a star, why he is becoming a star, has that awful first half, two for 11, and very quietly, Ends up as their leading scorer. Ends up putting up 26-4. and four. Very quietly. Joe Harris hit some big threes early. And then you've got the dream. And the dream is, will bad stuff happen to Philadelphia and will it affect them? Now, the thought was, ah, the veterans are going to turn on each other. You know, Jimmy Butler's going to bitch about this. Jimmy Butler's going to say, I didn't get enough shots. Meanwhile, he took 22 shots in this game. Trust me, he's not going to bitch about it. You had Tobias Harris basically disappear in this game, and that doesn't mean I still don't have a man crush on Tobias Harris. I put that on Brent Brown. I don't know what Brent Brown, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. I don't know how well coached the 76ers actually are. But you've got the Joel Embiid cell phone controversy, and – you know, I said this to to my wife. I'm just so glad it isn't my problem, because the last thing I want to do is have to debate the merits of Embiid looking at Amir Johnson's phone and the excuses of well, Amir's daughter is sick, which obviously makes us all feel bad. No one wants Amir Johnson's daughter sick, but then it comes back to okay, that 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 sucks. But why the hell is the leader of this team, Joel Embiid, looking at a cell phone with six minutes to go down by 14? But you know what? Not my freaking problem. Then you've got Embiid and Simmons basically questioning the crowd because they turned on them and started booing. Let me defend the people of Philadelphia. It's not as if the Sixer fans were booing immediately. They booed because you sucked. How about that? What a concept. They didn't start right away. And if, oh, they're booing, it's going to make guys not want to shoot. Well, you know what then? Man the hell up. You're playing Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I'm sorry. I'm going to defend the people of Philadelphia. Mainly because we may go Monday, and I want them to be my friends. No, I'm just kidding. No, but in all seriousness, the one thing that Sixer players cannot do after they got embarrassed by the little old Brooklyn Nets is start complaining about the crowd. Can't do it. You were never going to win that battle, and you already have enough stuff to deal with. You're down on one. You're playing a huge game, too, and Beat is limping around. He clearly looks hurt. Ben Simmons is proving how overrated he is. He is. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that, because now he's going to go for like 35 and 12 on Monday. But the last thing you want to do is have other controversies. And now there's a lot of things swirling around the Philadelphia 76ers. But here's going to be the key. Okay? The Nets won game one. Beningo said, you gotta win game one if you want to pull off this upset. I said, you got to take a game in Philadelphia. Well, they've done that. They are getting this thing back to Brooklyn on Thursday night at minimum tied 1-1. One and one. But let's take it up a notch. You want to win this series? You want to shock the world? Win game two. You want to put pressure on Joel Embiid and Coach Brown and Elton Brand and Ben Simmons and that big doofus Bob Marnarovich? You want to do all that? Win game two. And here's the bottom line. They can win game two. This is a good basketball team. It's taken us a long time to fully understand this, but they are clicking. The fantasy was, can they click at the right time? Now, I'm not telling you they're going to win this series. I'm not saying that. But is Karis LeVert playing like the pre-injury Karis LeVert? Check. Did Spencer Dinwiddie show up in a big way with his aggressiveness in game one and look like the healthy pre-thumb injury Spencer Dinwiddie? Check. Is D'Angelo Russell playing like an all-star despite a horrific first half in which he was 3 for 11? So do the math. Started 3 for 11, finished 10 for 25. He shot 50% in the second half, hit big shots in the third quarter. Did we see the all-star D'Angelo Russell in the second half? Check. Check. Is Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll and Ed Davis supplying that veteran leadership? Check. The one thing they don't have, and it could kill them, and it may cost them this series, is Jared Allen. Because I will say this about Jared Allen, and this is the negative from this. He has got to be better than what we saw in game one for them to win three out of the next six games. Because... Unless Joel Embiid is shutting himself down, you saw in game one that Embiid can still be a big factor even when he's not Joel Embiid, even when he's not that same dominant player because he got to the free throw line 18 times and he'll usually go to the line and make his free throws. But they gave him threes, he couldn't hit it. Then he started saying, ah, screw it, I'll do that dopey shot fake and I'll take a mid-range jump shot and he missed those. But he blocked shots, so he still had a big impact defensively. He was still all over the glass. And so even an Embiid, playing 25 minutes, not healthy, can still make a big impact. I expect J.J. Redick to be a lot better in game two. I think Tobias. Tobias Harris it needs to be more aggressive. And again, I do put a lot of that on the coaching and the situation he's in. I would still probably max out Tobias Harris if uh, the opportunity arose. But, boy, Jimmy Butler, oh, God, he was great in this game. He really was. Ended up going for 36. But the screaming and the yelling and the carrying on, because when he had that N1, and I think that got them to within a point, that was the game. And the Nets responded. That was really, really impressive how the Nets took that punch and they responded in such a big way. And over the last five minutes of this game, I wasn't stressed. The rest of it, I was. So let's go. We're up one game to zero. Let's shock the world. This has been a Brooklyn Nets win game one edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.